It's good to see you here this evening, and uh, we're going to be, if, if anybody doesn't have one of the study guides for tonight, this is, here's some right back here, if you just raise your hand, this is uh, part three, we have a few of the part two, if you didn't get one of those, we have some of those, few of those left, but this is part three that we're looking at in the proximity Circles to Christ. Now we've been going through these circles and we're getting, Bonnie, right over here. We're getting closer and closer. And next week we'll be winding this down. You know, last week I uh, thought I was going to get to be here and I talked with the pastor and we were talking on the phone and he said, you know, I don't think you might better try it. I don't think they're going to like you coughing like that. <laughs> so... So well, I wound up with a strep throat, and praise the Lord, hopefully I'm over that. Um, but anyway, it's good to get back on track tonight. Tonight we're looking at one circle, that's all. And this is a, a, a big circle. This is very important, and it's going to take our entire time just to look at this particular section because we're talking about the twelve. And... Uh, in uh, this one, you can see the proximity circles where we've come from. Now, we've come through the world, the crowds, the 5,000, the 70, the 120. Now we're on the 12. You notice how it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And next week, we'll be talking about the three and then the one and those characteristics. But this lesson tonight is so important and it's important from the standpoint that people think, you know, well, God just can't use me. I'm not smart. I didn't get a college education. I didn't even finish high school. And therefore, God just can't use me. I'm not educated enough to, to tell people, but I, I've got news for you. After we get through with this lesson tonight, you'll understand God can use Anybody who is willing to let him use them and who is willing to be committed. And that word I underlined several times. Commitment, 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 commitment. That is more important than perfection. God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for a commitment, a committed person who wants to draw closer to him. And this we're looking at tonight is the 12. This is the circle probably that's most familiar uh, to us. And these are God's chosen disciples. And we're going to be looking at two words, uh, disciples and apostles. See, these, these were disciples uh, in training. But when God sent them out, they were converted to apostles. And you will notice this after Pentecost. Pentecost is the pivotal historical point for the church. And you're going to see this tonight. You look at the disciples before Pentecost, and then you look at the apostles, the same ones, after Pentecost, they were transformed. And they were given that dudimus, from this morning, uh, that power 
that can only come from God. And we're going to see that. I want to take a little time to go through each, each one of these. Now, as we look at this, and we, we start off, with, he says in, in Luke 6, 12 and 13, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. These are Christ, these are the shepherd's dozen, you, you might call them. And they left everything to follow him. Now, it sounds like right here in this particular scripture that he just went out and picked a few and here we go. But now we're going to look in John in a few minutes and see how this happened, how, how all of these uh, came into being. The 12 represent those who walk with Jesus to places leaving everything and actually following him, physically following him. And this is another circle that you enter into as you get closer to God. As they entered this circle, they left their own wishes behind. As they entered into this circle, they left their selfish desires behind. And they entered into a new place of surrendering to Christ. But... Even at this place, even in this particular circle, there were still closer places. And we'll be dealing with those next week. If Jesus came to rescue helpless, hopeless people, according to Max Licato, he was asking this question, and he was going to launch a global spiritual movement what in the world was he thinking when he chose the 12 disciples? What was he thinking when he chose those trainees uh, of his? We would expect uh, Jesus to kind of seek out people with a more solid biblical training, right? We think that he would look at those that have a proven track record, right? We would think that he would have an impressive ministry credentials for these people. These were a special 12. We would think that he would have targeted polished religious professionals, people with impeccable reputations, right? That's what we think. Who did Jesus really pick? Who are these people? Instead, he went after religious amateurs. <laughs> I mean, these, these are people you probably wouldn't even stop to, to consider. These are people with sketchy backgrounds. He went to the docks. He enlisted at least four unschooled, uneducated fishermen. One was a big talker given to impulsivity. He was a hothead. Two others were hot-headed brothers who were nicknamed Sons of Thunder. He recruited one follower from a local IRS office. He signed up a skeptic 
an anti-government agitator, and another guy who eventually proved to be an embezzler and a traitor. The remaining members of his management team, so to speak, or his startup team, were nondescript. I mean, we know very little about them other than their names, and we know there were 12 of them. Now, tradition tells us that of these 12, that 11 of the 12 became martyrs for Christ. Peter, Andrew, and Philip were all crucified. James the Greater and Thaddeus, they fell to the sword. In other words, uh, their heads were cut off. James the Lesser was beaten to death while praying for his attackers. Bartholomew was flayed alive and then crucified. Thomas and Matthew were speared. Matthias was stoned to death. And Simon was either, Simon Peter, he was either crucified or sawed in half. It depends on, you know, the theologians where you're reading. Most think that he was, you know, crucified upside down, but he was crucified. John, the sole survivor, the last one of the twelve, is the only one who died a peaceable death, possibly uh, in Ephesus somewhere around 100 A.D. So you see, you know, the type people that Jesus chose, and you see what happened to them. And sometimes we complain whenever things come our way and things are not just right, and it seems like that we're persecuted. But then if we look back to this 12 and what happened to them, we have it good. I look back and I say, thank you, Lord, I'm living today. Now, the times may not be good as far as society and what's going on, but whenever I look back at these times, I still say, thank you, Lord, that you let me be born in the time period where I am. For better part of three years, this odd crew followed Jesus around. They seemed to be slow on the uptake. What do I mean by that? You know, it was, it was a rare day that they could grasp the meaning of his stories or his teachings or his claims. And in truth, they spent much of their time arguing and whispering among themselves, jockeying for power within the organization before Pentecost. Notice that I say these things happened before Pentecost. It seems like that whenever Jesus was crucified, when this motley crew left, it seems like this would be the end of the story, right? Boy, this, this, this just couldn't end good, not with this motley crew. In the end, one of these hand-picked associates conspired with the religious leaders who were jealous of Jesus. They, in turn, worked out a deal with the civil authorities, and this led to Jesus being arrested and tried and convicted and crucified on bogus charges. Now, at this... 
the remaining 11 of them deserted him. They ran off. Uh, And the most outspoken of the group denied him, not once, but three times. Boy, I want a crew like this, don't you? I mean, this is a great crew to, to pick. What was Jesus thinking? What was he doing? What was going through his mind? So you think, well, boy, this is the end of the story. But nope, nope, nope. This is not the end of the story. Uh, You see, because Jesus was dead, but he wasn't going to be dead long. And this wasn't the end of the story because Jesus came back to life. Just like he said he would on the third day, he arose. And when he came back to his followers, faith Faith surged within their hearts. And suddenly, those teachings of Jesus began to click in their minds. They remembered all the things that he had said. With the Spirit now, this is after Pentecost, the Spirit now indwelling within them and empowering them. These very ordinary Uh, men began living in extraordinary ways and doing extraordinary things. With relentless boldness, they took the message of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, and uh, the resurrection all over the known world. And most of them died a martyr's death. The story of the twelve is both surprising and it's also encouraging. It's surprising in the sense that, you know, why in heaven's name would Jesus pick someone like them? But it's encouraging because it lets me know that I can say, goodness gracious, God can use people like us. God can use people like me. God can use uneducated people to do His work if we will only let Him. But there is the the key word there again is commitment. Commitment. Now, the 12 apostles, it tells us, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, He called the disciples to Himself, and from them He chose twelve whom He also named apostles. Simon, whom He also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. These are the ones who were chosen. Now, how were they chosen? This is very important. I wanted to go through this, and I'm going to have to go back to... uh, Uh, the book of John, and if we go through John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can follow right along with me here. In uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, I'm looking at the King James Version here, and I want to follow this verse 
by verse as we go through it. And you can see how these 12 were selected. He didn't just walk up to the crowd and say, you know, pick them out like this. Listen to the way that John... Now, John was there. I'm talking about John the Apostle who wrote this. He's the one talking. Sometimes you may get a little confusing in the Scripture. You're looking, it's talking about John, John. It's talking about John the Baptist. And another time, it's John the Apostle. So you, I'll try to keep that straight so you'll, you'll know how this goes. And in verse 35, he says, he, he begins... With, with the first uh, disciples now. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. You have to go back to verses 19 through 28. This is just before the section that we're, we're reading now. Uh, and you'll find out that the account is given where the priests and the Levites, uh, they, they were sent by the Sanhedrin to John the Baptist, and they were asking them, who are you? And he was telling them, I'm not the Christ, but I am the one that's crying, as one crying in the wilderness. He is preparing the way for, for Christ. And then it says, the next day, after this, John sees Jesus. He points him out as the Lamb of God giving a discourse in, in verses 29 through 34, and a synopsis is given there of that. And it said, on the next day after this, that's the third day after this deputation, after the, the, the meeting, the people sent from the Sanhedrin, and the second day after Jesus returns from the wilderness, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. Now remember, John was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. He's preparing the way. So John already has some disciples under him. And they are looking for the Messiah. Because John the Baptist is telling them, you know, one is coming after me whose sandals I'm not even, I'm not even fit to lace his sandals. You know, uh, he is much mightier than I. I baptize with water. He's going to baptize you with power. And so these two that are standing there are disciples of John the Baptist. And one of the two, we learned from this, was Andrew. This is one of the, the first disciples. And the other, we have reason to believe, was John the Apostle himself. Because in writing in John, he doesn't refer to his own name. And that's how we know this is, this is John. So you have the, the first two that, that come in, and this is Andrew, and then you have John the Apostle. And it says these are John's disciples. That means they, fought, they were following John the Baptist. They were baptized by John the Baptist. They were following him. And these are the two people that we are talking about here. In verse 36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. On the preceding day, John had recognized Jesus in a public discourse as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Now, 
he personally points the disciples to Jesus. This is John the Baptist. He's pointing these disciples standing with him to Jesus. Jesus, who? The Lamb. This is the Lamb. Throughout the Old Testament, you know, uh, this was commonly used as a sin offering. The lamb was used as a sin offering at the morning, the evening sacrifice, at the great feast, on special occasions. The Paschal lamb was offered by every family in Israel every Passover. So in pointing out Jesus uh, as the lamb of God, he, John uh, the Baptist, he, he declares that, that he's the great sin offering which all the lambs slain were, and on the altars. These were just types. He says, he taketh away the sins of the world. He is the great sin bearer. That's who he's saying. He's not for just a single generation. No, he's, he is the sin bearer for all times. It's not for just a single family, not for just a single individual, not for just a single race, but he is the lamb that was crucified. He is the sin offering for the entire world. And this is what is so important about John the Baptist when he's pointing these disciples of, of John the Baptist to Jesus. This is who Jesus is. If we read in Matthew 11, 2 and 6, it says, Under the Old Testament were provided by the, uh, by the sinner lambs, whose sacrifice took sins away from the individual or the nation, but for the time only, and therefore the sacrifice had to be continually repeated. Under the New Testament, one lamb is provided, the Lamb of God, whose sacrifice takes away the sin of the whole world and therefore needs never to be repeated. The sacrificial lamb, the sacrifices of the animals was done away with. This is the lamb he's talking about. And then in verse 37, he says, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now here they are, they've been following John the Baptist. And John the Baptist introduces them to Jesus, you know, the Messiah. And now they immediately turn and they start following Jesus. Uh, they, uh, they didn't just follow him from a distance. They followed him closely. As a matter of fact, they wanted to know where he was going and in verse 38, uh, then Jesus turned and saw them following him. And he said unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Now, Jesus didn't ask them a question just to be asking it. What he was wanting to know, he was wanting to open up a communication, a discourse with those disciples. He wanted to know more about them. This is the way that Jesus taught. And any Christian teacher today will find it very valuable that, that this is an example 
of the master. His teachings were almost all by conversation, and his methods were incomparable. And they used the term rabbi, a term of very ancient origin signifying teacher or master. And Ahasuerus set a rab, R-A-B, or a master over the tables at his feast in, in Esther 1 and 8. And among the Jews, there were three degrees. There was rabbin, rab, and rabbi. Those three. And it's by the highest that Mary addresses the Lord at the tomb after his resurrection. And then they said, where dwellest thou? They were asking, where where are you from? Where are you going? Where are you going to spend the night? This is what the disciples asked him. And they wanted to know, where are you going to be? Where's your temporary abiding place? They want to know where they can find him. In other words, they were interested. They want to be with Christ. So they asked him, where, 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 was he, where was he abiding? Where was he going to stay? And Jesus met that with a very kind invitation that really attached the disciples to him for the rest of their life. He was very kind, and he, he was very gentle and hospitable, hospitable in, his, uh, in his answer. And in verse 39, it says, He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m. in the morning, so this would put it about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So it was getting late whenever they were walking with Jesus and talking with him. And so, actually, they stayed... He invited them to stay with him the night. Can you imagine what they talked about during that night? What was it they talked about? The Bible doesn't tell us uh, what they said. But one thing we do find out afterwards, uh, they they were so different the next morning, they knew who this was. They knew that this was Jesus, they knew that they had actually found the Messiah. They had found the Messiah. This was him. And in verse uh, 40, one of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew and Simon Peter's brother. Andrew and his brother Simon were sons of Jonas of the town of Bethsaida in Galilee. Both of them were fishermen by trade. And the way he describes Peter here tells us the importance that he is placing upon uh, Peter even over Andrew at this particular time. And what, what a great apostle that Peter would eventually be. Andrew became one of the twelve. The other one of the two was John that was standing there, John the Apostle, and because he's the one doing the writing, so he doesn't mention his own name. In verse 41, 
He first findeth his own brother Simon. Now, this is Andrew. And now Andrew, first thing he does, he looks for his brother Simon Peter. He goes after him right then. And he found him and he brought him back to Jesus. Now, Peter didn't waste any time in coming back. He come back to talk with Jesus and to see him. Uh, here, here at this point, this, this is what it is with us today whenever we, we get saved and you know, we have an experience with the Lord. What's the first thing you did when you got saved? What did you do? You were so excited. You were so filled. You were so happy. What did you do? What was your first thing you wanted to do? Even if you were in the school, the next day at school, what did you do? You told somebody. And Andrew, the first thing he thought was, my brother. So he went and told Peter. Well, Peter was an apostle uh, also of John uh, the Baptist. He was also looking for the Messiah. So he didn't waste any time. He come running back to, to see because Andrew was saying, you know, hey, we found the Messiah. He's here. He's right here. Come and meet him. And so uh, here, here uh, Simon Peter comes. It's a grand thing. The grandest discovery they had ever made. It was greater than finding a continent. It was greater than finding a lost coin. It was the greatest thing they could ever find was the Messiah. They found the Messiah, the hope of the world. And then in verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And uh, there, there was no hesitation on Peter's part whenever he came in. He, he came to see this Christ, who he was, the king that he had been waiting for for so long. And he tells him, he said, your, your name is Simon, but you're going to be called Cephas. Now, Cephas is Hebrew and means a stone. Peter means the same in Greek. Now, the word rock, the word for that in the Greek is Petra, while the word anglicized as Peter is Petros. Now, what's the importance of what I just said? Because he said, you remember the scripture? John 1 and 43, thou art Petros, thou art Peter. Thou art Petros, a stone. And upon this Petra, upon this solid rock, I will build my church. The rock was the stone cut without hands. The rock is Jesus Christ. Peter was a fragment of rock built upon the stone by the great confession. And he said, Christ is the rock, and Peter is the rockman of which he built his church. Oh, this just gets better and better as we go through it. In verse 43, the day following Jesus, 
would go forth into, into Galilee and finding Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now the next day after Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, uh, then we, we find, uh, let, 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 me put these, let me put these days in order so, so I can, you can understand where we're going here. On the first day, on the first day, John's conference with the priests and the Levites, remember that, verses 19 to 28. The second day was John's testimony of Jesus, of who he was. The third day, the two disciples pointed to Jesus. And the fourth day, Peter was brought to Jesus. On the fifth day, Nathanael was brought to Jesus. And it skips a day, and on the seventh day is the marriage of Cana. Now, let's go into to verse 43. The day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter. This is the first recorded instance of Jesus the Savior actually calling a disciple to follow him. You notice the others before him, he didn't say come follow me, they just followed him automatically. Now he says, this is the first time when he says, follow me, come and follow me. And Philip is a citizen of Bethsaida, of Galilee, a fellow townsman of Andrew and Peter. And then we go to uh, verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And we learn here in John 21 and 2, Nathanael, like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip, these, these were all Galileans. They were in Cana of Galilee. Uh, his name is found only in two places. He is also known in the other Gospels as Bartholomew. So when you see Nathaniel, Bartholomew, the, these are the same. And he said, we have found him who Moses in the law and the prophets did write. And there was only one to whom he could be referring. Is the prophet likened to Moses who is the Messiah. So here again, he's saying, we have found the Messiah. Come and go with us. And when Philip names Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel is skeptical. He is skeptical. Uh, could any good thing, if you heard the scripture, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? Hmm. As soon as Philip becomes a disciple, he at once begins to seek others. And we go to verse 46, and picking this up, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Now the Jews of Jerusalem despised Galilee. And they rejected the Galilean preacher, who we know is Jesus. While the rest of Galilee seems to have despised Nazareth. 
And from the way that the mob was described uh, whenever Jesus was cast out of the synagogue and they tried to kill him, you know, it wasn't a very hospitable, hospitable place for him. The Jews wanted to associate everything of moral and religious good with Jerusalem. I mean, and that's the reason they're saying, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They couldn't conceive that a king would come from anywhere other than the city of David. I mean, they just couldn't accept it. But then he says, come and see. The best answer to a skeptic is to say, come and see. The best answer to a, to a person, to an atheist, and they're trying to argue, you know, the best answer is just come and see. Come and see Christ for yourself. Test Christ for yourself. That is the best answer. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. The Savior actually salutes Nathanael. And he said, This is an honest man. This, there's no, uh, no flaws in his character. He was a true Israelite. He was without hypocrisy. He was uh, worshiping God. He was very sincere. He was following in the light that had shed on his path. And then verse 48, Nathanael said unto him, Which knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Something happened to Nathanael. It's not in Scripture, but something unusual happened to him under the fig tree that only he knew about. He had told no one. And here Jesus is telling him about it and referring to it, which lets him know, surely, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. Verse uh, 49, Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Philip had said, Jesus, the Son of Joseph. But Nathanael was very convinced, and he declared him to be who? The Son of God. This is the first confession of the divinity of Jesus that we find here. Now in verse 50, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, thou believest, believest thou. Thou shalt see greater things than these. Nathaniel, a follower of Christ, did see greater things than the revelation hidden, uh, uh, you know, that Christ revealed to him that he thought was hidden under the tree. And he saw greater things than this. But also, to all those who believe today, you see greater things. Why is it that some people see greater things in Christ than others? As we draw closer to Christ, greater things will happen. And Jesus... And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now Jacob, uh, 
in his dream at Bethel, he saw the ladder from heaven and earth and the, and the angels ascending and descending the ladder. And he said, this is the way from earth to heaven. The way heaven sends messages to the world and the way that, that we must go to reach heaven. Nathaniel would be permitted to see that Jesus was the mediator. He is the mediator. That through him the Father speaks to man. He still speaks to us today. That through him there is intercommunication between earth and heaven. And Nathaniel saw heaven open. Now we are familiar with the story of Judas and the betrayal of Judas, his fall from the apostleship. Now that vacancy had to be filled. And this was filled before, just before Pentecost. If we look in Acts chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14, we find this, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in Acts 1, 21-26, it describes the appointment of Matthias to fill the vacancy. In uh, uh, verse 21, Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. We heard this morning in Sunday school, whenever you listen to the wrong counsel, we talked about a nation divided. Here you see the counsel again. Who are they going to for counsel? They go to the Lord. Lord, you show us. You know who it is. And they prayed. You, O, o Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two have you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place and they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And I want to look for just a moment at the commission of the apostles. There were two commissions uh, that were given. We look at the, here again the words the apostle and disciple. We call them the 12 disciples when they were first selected. And they were the trainees. But when Jesus sent them forth, they became apostles. Because these are the ones who are sent out. These are the ones who actually had met Jesus. They knew Jesus. They encountered Jesus. And he sent them out. But let's look at, at the commission now. Their nationality in early life 
they were all of the stock of Abraham. And their early lives were all spent in their native land. The opportunities that they had. Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. But what, he did, what did he do with his disciples? He explained everything to them. He explained it in detail to them. The ordination, Jesus called them, he ordained them, he sent them into the world, even as the Father, he said, had sent him. And then uh, we look at the first commission. There are two commissions that were placed on the, the apostles. The first commission, the first time Jesus sent out his apostles to preach, they were to preach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, they were to speak to the Jews. This was their commission. Talking to the Jews of Israel. Their preaching was very simple. They talked about the coming kingdom of God. That was their commission. Now, after Pentecost, this all changed. Do you notice I keep saying so many times, uh, back to Pentecost, after Pentecost, before Pentecost, the pivotal point is Pentecost. And we need in the church to specify this so much more because we have people who get saved and satisfied and never go on to Pentecost. Pentecost is the pivotal point of your entire salvation. If you want to be used of God, and you want to be close to God, you've got to encounter Pentecost. You've got to go through Pentecost. Now let's look at the, at the second commission. And I have to look at, 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 at several books to do this. But this is, it was all changed you know, whenever the Jews and the Gentiles, all this was broken down by Jesus' death on the cross, and there became a new commission. And according to this one, if we look at Matthew, the commission embraced is that the announcement that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, to Jesus. The command was to go and teach. The command to baptize those that were taught. The command to continue to teach the baptized disciples. And then the assurance that he would be with them to the end. And now if we look at Mark, we can take this a little further. Mark it said the commission embraced the command to preach the gospel to the whole world. You notice now it's not just the Jews. The second commission is to the whole world. The promise of salvation to those who believe. And then according to, to Luke, it embraced the command to preach repentance in his name. They were to begin in Jerusalem. The assurance that the apostles were witnesses of these things. See, they had met Jesus. They knew him. They were witnesses. Now we have to go according to John, under the condition laid down by Jesus, 
the power to remit and retain sins. And then we go back to the authority and the power. The apostles, and especially Peter, were given the keys of the kingdom and the assurance of whatever they should bind on earth and be bound in heaven, or bound in heaven, uh, loose on heaven, be loose on earth. This, this was, is, is part of the commission and the power that they were given. And then the apostles went forth under the direct guidance of who? The Holy Spirit. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke as he gave them utterance. Now, what is the importance of the Holy Spirit? If you've heard me speak to you tonight, it, it, it's everything. Uh, this is what changed the, the disciples and the apostles. This is what changed their lives. Uh, let me share a few things with you. Now, I've got to go into the characteristics. Now, these characteristics are going to be a little different than the others. And you think, oh boy, as we get closer to Christ, we get more perfect. No, when we get closer to Christ, we get more committed. Doesn't mean I'm more perfect. I still have my flaws. We're going to look at this. They left everything to follow Jesus because they wanted to be with Him. They what? Say that word. They wanted. I didn't hear you. They wanted to be with Him. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. They were expecting Him. They wanted to be with Him. And they were fully committed. Say that. They were what? Fully committed. Although they fought and argued a lot between themselves, after Pentecost... They also learned how to love, and they taught others how to love. They had great faith at times, especially after Pentecost. But on other times, Jesus actually re rebuked them for their weak faith before Pentecost. Peter chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. He denied Christ before, what? Pentecost. But then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was prominent on the day of Pentecost and thereafter. You see, the, what did God do with these, these people that we thought were vagabonds, fishermen, Tax collectors, all these people nobody wanted or nobody liked. And here Jesus selects them. Then he takes them as disciples. He trains them. And then he empowers them on the day of Pentecost. And they become his apostles. I wrote this down this afternoon. And in here as I was studying. A Pentecostal experience is absolutely necessary to draw closer to God in the deepest way possible. Oh, you can draw close to God. 
but you'll never get in that closer proximity that we'll be talking about next week. Uh, they loved Jesus. They gave their whole lives. But before Pentecost, they fled and ran. They deserted him. They were given much, but they forgave much. They were human, but they had grace and a calling from God to be great in the kingdom by serving. Say that with me. By serving. They were human. But they had grace and a calling from God to be great in the kingdom by serving. You want to be uh, great in the kingdom of God? Be a servant. If you're looking for a spiritual superman, hero, apostle, you probably won't even recognize him if you found him. If, however, you're looking for a down-to-earth person, called of God, carrying apostolic grace, devoted to service, and obedience, though at times making mistakes, but learning and following God wholeheartedly, then you may have found a disciple and possibly an apostle. The disciples, the apostles, they did see miracles. And they, they did see prayers wonderfully answered. But often today, they are just hard workers working as best they know how with God's grace to do what they believe God is telling them to do. We are just simple people. And let me leave you with this. And this I wrote down this afternoon is the last thing as I was studying this. You don't have to be perfect to draw closer to God. But you do have to be committed. You must be committed. You can be as close to God as you want to be next uh, Sunday night, we're going to look at the last two and then the finale. You know, the three and then the one and the characteristics. As you see these characteristics of each group of these. And let, let me say again, on these groups, as we get closer to God, this is a two-way street. You can also slack off, become lackadaisical, and you can begin to drift back out in the circles. It's a, how close do you want to be to God? You can be as close as you want to be. Father, thank you tonight for your many blessings. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for, for leaving the word that we can read, that, that it comes alive to us. Lord, we want to be as the disciples whenever they, uh, Andrew went and whenever he, he got Peter and he came back and he said, I found the Messiah and he came running to you. And Lord, they looked at you and said, this is the Messiah. 
Lord, we should be so happy whenever we come into your sanctuary and we say, this is where Messiah dwells. This is your holy place. This is where you are. Lord, help us to be drawn closer to you by the commitment that we have. And may that commitment be greater and greater and greater in that desire for your service and to be your servant will be greater and greater and greater. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll end it up next Sunday night.